to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey there, it's Jody Katz, the host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. I am so grateful for your support of our show. This week's episode features Nancy McKay. We recorded this episode a few months after Nancy left her role as CEO of Nest Fragrances. So we talk a lot about transition during this episode. Now she's the CEO of Barefoot Scientists, and she's also one of our podcast superfans. So I'm excited to have you listen to her story. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Rachel Roth. She's the owner and founder of Urban Skin Solutions. I hope you enjoy the shows. We are here with Nancy McKay. This is such an exciting conversation. You are a super fan of our podcast, and I am so grateful for all your support. It's great to be here. I'm very excited to talk to you. Um, So we're going to chat about you and your career, but let's start with um, what you want me to say is your title now. Well, my title now is interesting person looking for a great role. I love it. It's like dating. (laughs) It is kind of like dating. (laughs) It is. And you have to, I am empathetic to people are dating because you have to keep telling the same story repeatedly. Um, But it's fun and it helps you to clarify what's important to you in your history and what's important to you about your future. So I'm really enjoying the process. That's so cool. So your pr- previous role before interesting person, well, I'm sure that was continuity with that. Um, you were <laughs> like the, so bad. I don't know. <laughs> you were the CEO of Nest up until just a few three months yes, ago. Um, I left Nest in the beginning of October, and I was there for three and a half years. And why did you leave? Um, I left because I felt like it was a a good moment in time. Um, We had sold the company, and I felt like I needed a little bit of a break. And I also felt like with the new owners who I adored, I felt it was appropriate for them to have somebody who really wanted to be there for the full term of of their um, private equity stint. And that was going to be probably another four or five years. And I felt like I wanted to do um, something different and not repeat because I'd spent so much time at Estee Lauder and I liked the coming in for the assignment of um, building Nest and getting it ready to be sold and and actually filling it. Well, we have so much to talk about the comparisons between working at a giant strategic versus an entrepreneurial company in a hyper growth mode. Um, But let's just back up and talk about when you realized it was time to leave. Um, What did that feel like to you? Um, You know, I don't know at the time um, I had a friend that um, mentioned to me that Nest was looking for um, a CEO. And I'd always really liked the brand. And I had been at um, Estee Lauder and I'd been at Estee Lauder brand for 10 years. And I wasn't really looking um, at all. I felt like I was going to have my whole career at the Estee Lauder companies. Uh, But I, uh, this was a very close friend and I went and um, met with um, these really smart, great guys at Tengram. And um, we had a good conversation and um, it just kind of evolved into a, wow, this seems like the right time to make this change. And um, it worked out really well. I was really, I'm really happy to have looked back and made a switch and tested my, what I, all the, you know, PhD I got at the Estee Lauder companies and be able to execute it in a small entrepreneurial company, working with a founder, building a team. Uh, I didn't have any supply chain experience or um, really I didn't have 
you don't have to deal with banks and banking and that, you know, the, that part of the financial, do we pay the vendors or do we pay the employees kinds of decisions. And those, um, that was, um, they took a risk by hiring me and um, I learned so much. It was really interesting. So. So let's go to the very beginning. How long were you at Lauder in total? I was there for 28 years. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I had a brief stint where I left um, about eight months, but um, back in um, the early 90s. Um, but I, I was there for a long time and had amazing experiences. So how did you get your first job? So um, I actually, um, well, this I'll go way back yeah, for just please. a minute. Um, when I, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, and I always thought that I wanted to be a senator from mm. the time I can remember, like when I was six or seven. And um, I grew up loving the Capitol, and um, I felt like that was my career path. And so um, I wound up in Florida in high school, and um, so I went to school in Tallahassee at Florida State uh, because it was the state capitol. And so I got internships there and had a great time and really loved it. And I worked as an intern in Washington before it had kind of a bad name. Um, and I, I loved everything about government. I debated in both high school and college. And then right before I graduated, I realized two things. One was that I didn't love the way that if you had an idea, how that idea got watered down by the time a piece of legislation was actually enacted. And um, that was disappointing to me. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I hadn't really accomplished what I was set, set out to do. And the second thing was I didn't want to run for office every two years. And I knew I'd have to be a congressman before I could be a senator. I mean, I was pretty pragmatic about my plan. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to run for office. That's not like what I want to do. And so I pivoted big time right before I was graduating and said, you know, I think I want to go into business. So I moved to Atlanta. I had, a, you know, a few connections from my Tallahassee life. And I worked for the, um, the telephone company back in the day. And I was in their management training program. And I was there for six years. I had um, 18 bosses in six years. Oh my goodness. And that was great because it taught me that there were so many ways to get to the end game and everybody had a different style and different you know, ideas of what success was. It was great. Um, and I did well. And this was in Atlanta. And they said to me, um, you know, you're doing really well and we'd like you to move to New York. Wow. And I said, oh, no, I'm going to live my whole life in Atlanta. <laughs> and they said, well, the job is in New York. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to not go. And so I, I got my two-week severance check. And oh, you just said no. I just said no. Like the whole, my whole division was moving. And, and was, I got a little strength out of the fact that my boss also said the same thing. He wasn't going to move either. But he had like a big old resume and I was like a little account executive. So I don't know what I was thinking. But I, um, I said, well, you know, I've always really been interested in the beauty business. And I love as a customer. I was a prescriptives customer in the day when it first started. And I thought it was an amazing brand. I loved, I just loved the whole marketing matched what happened at the point of sale. And I, I just thought it was really interesting. And um, I had one friend who knew someone who was the Giorgio rep. You know, that was when Giorgio, everybody wore the white and gold jackets. Giorgio Beverly Hills. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And um, and uh, so my friend introduced me to this woman, and um, her name was Judy Lowe, and she said, oh, you can tell your, to my friend Charlie, you can tell her there's no way she's going to get a job. People die, um, you know, in their jobs as account executives um, in Atlanta. 
And I was like, well, just anybody. Can you introduce me to anybody? And so she wound up introducing me to someone who um, worked at Aramis and they had just brought in a new regional marketing director. And that regional marketing director was looking for someone who was gonna stay. And I had worked at the telephone company for six years. And so she was like, okay, I'll talk to her. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so this woman, Chris Howard, was my first boss um, at Estee Lauder. And so I started as an account executive in the Aramis division. And that was back in the day when the big wars were between Aramis and Polo Green, you know, and, um, and Obsession came in and kind of changed the rules for how fragrance was sold in department stores. And so anyway, I was there in the early days. So I, that's where I started is in Atlanta as an account executive. That's so cool. So I wanted to tell you that I also was in the debate team in high school. Yeah, you were. Yeah, I was really into that. And um, I was a government and law major in college because oh, wow. I too thought I would go into government in some way. I didn't think that I'd run for office, but I thought I would be like, you know important person moving the wheel behind uh -huh. the scenes um, and got disenchanted by the fact that um, the desire to do good is often challenged by the realities. You know, it's very similar to what you just said. So I didn't go as far as to like actually pursue it um, in internships, but um, I have a degree in government law. Oh, so funny, <laughs> me too. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so how, it's just kind of interesting. Maybe that's why we connect so that's well. Right, but I can't even imagine actually now that I think about it, like I was on stage in high school debating things I didn't even know anything about that I had like, you know, very little preparation and to you had study. To, you had to be able, my husband thinks it's very funny that you had to debate both sides. Yes. And I think that was the best thing because I can, I, I go into things thinking about what's the other side going to say mm -hmm. and, and how, if I were in their shoes, how I would argue it. And so Debate has been, to me, one of the single biggest influences. And my I still keep in touch with my debate coach from college. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. She was amazing. And I think of all the time she gave up and traveling on the weekends. And, you know, it was a lot. Yeah. I remember driving with a friend. Maybe I did this in college, too. Driving with a friend to, like, you know, conferences or competitions. Yeah. or um, And having very little preparation to be able to stand there and be so convicted. About. I remember lots of preparation. Like we had to carry those. We kept, we had file cabinets and we used to um, have three by five or four by six index cards. And we'd like Xerox copies of articles and cut out the articles and file them. It was, it, it was also very helpful as an organizational tool. Right. Um, but, oh, I remember having to prepare a lot. Were you in student government? Um, yes, a little bit at the end. In fact, because I debated, I was gone quite a bit. Um, but my last year, I got involved in, um, in student government. And actually, I was on the cabinet of um, one of the past governors of Florida, which made me feel really old. <laughs> Interesting to see, you know, that student government was a pathway for him to, you know, go into politics. Uh, my passion in college was student government. Yeah, I was the president of student government. Wow. I marketed myself, right, because I needed to be elected. Um, I made colorful flyers and big posters and, you know, all the stuff I do if, as a career, I did then. Um, so that was great background. And politics yeah. is marketing. And, and, you know, politics did big data before consumers did it. Mm -hmm. You know, how you target certain neighborhoods and zip codes and streets. And so it's a very, you know, there's a lot of things to learn and share between the two disciplines. Awareness building. I mean, this is the name of the game, right? Know that 
make, make people know you exist. Right. This is what we do every day, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so that's super cool. So um, you're in Atlanta, you have your job working locally with Aramis. How did that pivot into a, a longer career mm-hmm. in beauty? So I actually loved my job in Atlanta. I, I was a really good account executive. And I, I used to tell my account executives that too as I progressed in my career. It was such a fun job because you went from store to store and you developed relationships with the store managers and you walked into a department store. And I loved going into a department store early in the morning before it was open and seeing the product and everybody, you know, changing the displays. Like I loved product. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still do. That, that's still going into 59th Street before the store opens for a rally or something. I still get an adrenaline rush from that, the whole industry. Um, but anyway, so I, I did well in the time I was there. And um, so I was offered the opportunity to move to Chicago and be a regional. So three years after saying I would live my whole life in Atlanta, um, I moved to Chicago. And um, I moved on, I actually physically moved on, I'll never forget this, May the 5th. And um, the, I had a nice condo in Atlanta and um, we moved into this little small apartment downtown in Chicago. And the mover, it was snowing on May the 5th. Oh, and wow. the mover looked at me and said, why did you do this? And I just, and I'm not a crier. I remember just bursting into tears thinking, I don't know anyone here. What am I thinking? Um, but um, it was a great move. And I loved Chicago and I loved living in the city um, and that's where I met my husband. And so I did, I, um, stayed with Aramis for five years as the regional. And, um, so you were Midwest was your region? Yes. And I, I, so I had St. Louis and Minneapolis and that was back in the days of Dayton Hudson's Marshall Fields and Carson Peary Scott, um, and famous bar. So I, um, I had, I traveled quite a lot. Um, and I was really interested in learning more about the um, cosmetic side, the skincare and, and makeup side. And those were in the days where um, you really didn't um, move between divisions of the Estee Lauder companies. And so um, I had an opportunity where someone was, um, you know, encouraging me to leave. And I fell in love with this woman, Charlene Holt, who is, um, she's the head of um, sales at La Prairie now. And um she encouraged me to to go to Lancaster and they were in this huge growth mode. And as soon as I got there, they had all these management changes. And um, I, I, I got the job because I had this great relationship with, um, with the people at Dayton Hudson's and they wanted to open the Lancaster brand. And so everybody was excited and we did it. And I was there for eight months and I opened and closed the brand in the eight months oh I was goodness. there. Um, but I learned so much. And so anytime you face a difficult situation, you know, in the thick of it, it's hard to see, but yeah. the things that you take away from it are things that really stick with you and are very valuable to you in your, in your you know, resume of things that you've been, you know, experienced. So were you laid off? Like, what was the situation? They gave me a, they're very nice because I'd been there a short time and they had really encouraged me to go. So they gave me um, a job like special events or something. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the handwriting was on the wall that I needed to find another job. And I was really lucky because um, Clinique had an opening and I knew the person who was the vice president for Clinique for that area. And so um, I was able to move back to the Estee Lauder companies as the regional marketing director for Clinique. And while I, you know, it was, you know, looking, it wasn't a very good move, but I learned a lot. And I don't know that I ever would have been prepared for understanding a P&L of a beauty business had I not left. 
and just, you know, walking into Clinique. My, um, I remember this like it was yesterday, walking out and looking at my first month financial goal um, at Clinique was bigger than my entire year at, at the Aramis division. Oh my goodness. And just thinking, oh my God, this is a lot. Um, but I, I was there for three years and um, I fell in love with Clinique, which was a brand I didn't really know very well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I moved to New York um, after 10 years in Chicago as the vice president for Clinique. Um, and I did that for five years. And um, got to know the Northeast and all the specialty retailers, which I had had relationships because Chicago had a lot of national accounts, but I hadn't really, really developed the, you know, deep relationships of understanding, you know, Saks and Bloomingdale's. So right. um, that was really fun. And um, then the opportunity came up to move to the Aramis division. Um, and uh, it was funny because they had just signed Andre Agassi to be the spokesperson for, they were creating a fragrance that mm-hmm. he was going to be the spokesperson for. And I was a, I'm a huge tennis fan oh, and uh-huh. I love Andre Agassi. And so I called um, the woman who was running the Aramis division at the time, who I had met at, we had worked together at Lancaster. And I said, Carol, what do I have to do in order to meet Andre Agassi? And she said, well, funny that you call me because I need a national sales manager. I said, no, 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 I just want to meet Andre Agassi and I have a job. And she's like, no, I've already... You know, I've already secured permission to be able to talk to you about, you know, this role. But um, so I did that. Um, I did that for almost uh, about three years, a little less than three years. And then um, the opportunity came up to be the head of sales at the Estee Lauder brand. But wait, did you meet Andre Agassi? I, well, I did meet Andre Agassi. I have a really good Andre Agassi story. Okay. Um, so they were all were. So I started... And no one in the entire division knew anything about tennis. Mm-hmm. So I was really the only person who understood even how to score a tennis game. And so I started in uh, in May, and Roland Garros was soon after that. And so, um, it, you know, you can um, put a little small screen on your computer that updates you on the matches that are happening in real time. And he was doing very well. And so every time he won a set... I would send an email out to the whole company. And this was highly endorsed and encouraged, you know, like we'd like to know what's going on. So I, you know, I would do that. And so then he did really well. And then um, Wimbledon happened. He did really well. He didn't, he didn't win either of those tournaments, but he got, I think, to the semifinals or something. Was this before he was like a super big deal or like during? Oh, no, he was a big deal at this point. And um, he was married to Steffi, and they um, actually, Steffi was pregnant with um, Jaden during this time. I don't know. Ask me. Don't ask me why I remember that. Um, but um, so um, they are having a press event in New York in um, in August, and and so anyway, I do the same thing with the computer and telling everybody for both Roland Garros and Wimbledon. And then he he comes to New York when he's here for the Open, and they do a press event. And the president comes to me, and he's this. Uh, he has this big South African accent, and he's like, "Nancy, this is for the press. This is not for salespeople." I, you have to understand. You, you maybe we'll get you to meet him sometime, but not not now. So as I said, I get it. I get it. Okay. So as the event got closer, they suggested that maybe I bring a couple retailers and that I could attend, but make sure that I didn't get too close to Andre. You know. <laughs> and so they the event happens that night, and it's going well, and they're all having everyone's having a great time. And um, I'm in the back. You know, I'm staying away. And um, I'm in the back of the room, and I hear people saying, "Nancy, Nancy." And I look up, 
and everybody's waving from the stage for me to come up and they were taking a group picture. And so I was in the back and as I'm walking on the stage, um, John Carp, who was the president says, you can't take the picture until Nancy gets here because she's the one that keeps us up to date on you. <laughs> so I get there and we take the picture. So I'm walking off the stage because I don't want to get in trouble for trying to talk to Andre. So as we're walking off the stage, he says, hey, hey, are you Nancy? And I'm like, yes. And he said, what did he, John mean when he said, you keep us up to date on me? And I said, oh, well, I am the one who understands tennis in this place. I probably said it more respectfully than that. But anyway, um, and I keep the IBM tracker on my computer. And I, I'll tell everybody every time you win a set or if you have a great, you know, something happens. And so he said, oh, that's interesting. And I said, and I looked around, no one was there. I said, can I ask you a question? And he said, sure. And I said, um, you know, I play tennis and I wonder, how do you keep from getting so frustrated when you miss an easy shot? And he looked at me and he was like my height, these great brown eyes, he looks right at me and he says, it doesn't serve my objective. And I said, wow, that is a really focused answer. And he said, well, if you watch my performance on that IBM screen, you can tell whether I'm focused and whether I'm not because I have the ability to beat anyone on a court. It's a matter of am I focused as I need mm -hmm. to be. And if it doesn't serve my objective to get frustrated when I miss an easy shot, then I shouldn't waste my energy on that. And it's such a good life lesson, yes, right? Totally. Um, and so um, that was my, I did get to meet him and that I got to have that conversation with him, which is I, a lesson I tell to lots of yeah, people. Yeah, I mean, that's like incredible coaching, not just right. sport coaching, just right. life coaching. It's, yeah, exactly. If it's not essential, then don't let it get in your way. Right. You know, so right. that's my own Take your energy, moment. put it somewhere better. Right. That's an awesome story. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks. I didn't, in a million years, I didn't think that story was going to come up, but yeah, I did get to meet him. Let's, let's talk about being um, a regional manager and having these types of jobs in beauty, because I've friends who have these jobs and had them for many years. And like every day you're like living and breathing by your numbers, right? Um, every month. And um, it's a high stress job. It is. Um, especially when, you know, at the end of the day, you don't have control over, you can't have control over everybody everywhere, right? And you don't have control over the weather, you right. Don't, right? You don't have control over, you know, other circumstances in the world that impact the way people shop. So um, did that wear on you? Um, and like, what were your techniques? Like, what were your Andre Agassi techniques of like getting through that type of, um, cause that's like kind of like a gut stress, right? Like we're so close to our numbers. Did we get our numbers? Did we hit our goal? Um, I think first of all, that's what fuels me. You know, it's exciting to either grow a business that's growing um, or to turn a business around that's not growing and watch the numbers. And if it's not growing, what can you do differently? I get a lot of energy from figuring out how to impact. So stores aren't down, what are we gonna do to up online? Or this, you know, Herald Square, this big building isn't working, what can we do to change the dynamic? Or if it is something that's out of your control, massive construction, um, then what is your alternative to try to make up that volume? And that to me is the puzzle of business. And so um, I think that I 
developed resilience from having great mentors that said, you know, you, you have to be able to let it go mm-hmm. at some point. Like you have to manage it because you're not going to make your day every day or every every year. Um, hopefully you do over most years, but um, it does require resilience and the ability to always see what can be and what's next. So you don't make it today. Okay. How can you make it tomorrow? And if you're too far in the hole, what are you, you know, how, what are you going to do to mitigate the profit, the money you've already spent, you know? So, um, it's a puzzle and, um, that's what gets me excited. So it, I look at it as energy, not as stress. Right. And those jobs, um, really move people around quite a bit, right? As you advance, you go from, you know, a small area to a bigger region. Um, Did you ever find that, like, "Mm," you know, I mean, you said no to moving from Atlanta, right? Um, Did you find either with yourself or with your peers that that got in the way of growth, like not wanting to move, you know, just wanting to, you know, keep your roots where they are? Um, You know, running a sales organization, there there are some people who are young and hungry and happy to move. There are many, most people that, you know, my account executive in the regional for Clinique in Pittsburgh, I think she's for Clinique has been there, I don't know, 30 years Mm -hmm. and has tremendous, she's terrific. She could have gone to New York and, but she chose to raise her family in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. And so people make life choices. And today I find that people are less willing to move and more uh, anxious to find the right balance in their life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a healthy change. Uh, but it is hard on companies to find the right, I mean, so the demand for talent in both small and large mm-hmm. companies is the biggest challenge people right. have. Right, um, Okay, so let's shift gears a little bit. Um, you told us about that moment where you leave the lauder companies for, mm-hmm. to take on an entrepreneurial endeavor. So, um, you know, I've never worked at Nest, so I don't know what it was like, but you might have left a place where there was like, let's say, a fully stocked supply cabinet to a place where like, oh, we have to order paper clips and you have to ask somebody to order the paper clips. Like, was it like this, is it, was it super gritty as an entrepreneurial company or was it very polished when you walked into Nest? Well, Gritty is probably not the right word. Um, you know, Laura Slatkin, who was the founder, um, had been running the company, and she's a very capable businesswoman. So it wasn't the the paperclips thing wasn't mm-hmm. the thing. But putting <laughs> as the company was growing and the strategy was shifting, because when I joined, the company still did a very large business in private label, and so oh, our. Um, our strategy was to reduce the amount of private label and to invest all of our energies and resources into the Nest brand and um, setting up the disciplines and the budgets and um, the processes to ensure we have the right levels of inventory and those kinds of things. Um, those were, I guess, gritty to use your word, um, but those were needed. And um, uh, the company really hadn't invested in marketing. Um, because the Nest brand was still pretty small and had great PR. There was somebody who, um, Tim Rossi's the PR person, and he's um, has great relationships with the press. And between Laura and Tim, that's really what generated the brand awareness. And so we, I, when I joined, we added a marketing person and sales person. There had been salespeople, but the head of sales had left, so I was able to bring in the head of sales. And so... Um, it wasn't gritty, but it was um, 
I'd say hand to mouth mm -hmm. and not a structure that was scalable. And that was what I was able to bring from a best practice from, you know, and when I was at Lauder, I had big brands and small brands. And so I did have an understanding of what the trajectory was. Right. So that but, was helpful. But here you had to build the infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. So when you um, first day on that job, are you scared? Like, like, because going from so much infrastructure all those years to like, I'm going to be the one who conceives of it and hope that the team can support it. It's a big deal. It was a really big deal. Um, I was so excited about the opportunity that I, I mean, I knew there was some potential for me not to be successful, but I did feel like, uh, you know, Laura, what I, Laura was there every day. And so she, a wealth of knowledge and very supportive. And we struggled at first to figure out what our, how our relationship mm -hmm. was going to work. Um, but we were both highly committed to communicating about it. And so she would get mad at me and I'd get mad at her, but we'd like go in and <laughs> like fight it out. And then we, you know, once we understood why the other had acted in a particular way, it was really helpful. Um, and there were a, a group of a small group of people, but everyone was really committed to making it happen. And so I really, again, very lucky because I went to a brand that had a strong founder, that had a strong foundation, that had scalable potential uh, and continues to have opportunity. And I was able to recruit good people pretty quickly and get a team going that the others could see, oh, this is really exciting and, you know, this place is happening. And we were able to roll out Nordstrom's pretty quickly when I started and Sephora clicked in pretty quickly. And so there was a lot of momentum. And so, I mean, I can, you know, fill a podcast of, oh, I would have done this differently or that differently. But the big, the big things that moved the needle worked well. And so um, I didn't really have time to be scared from the minute I started. Like from the from day one, minute one, it was just like you know crazy. That's awesome. I um I suffer from self doubt, as I've mentioned before. So like my immediate first thought on I mean, everything new is so like I get like tingles in my arms, like nervous tingles, and um, even if I am super excited, there's always this haunting sort of like cloud behind me. Um, it's getting smaller and smaller as I work through it, but. Um, you know, I, I would love to live my life being the person who's like just excited, ready to go, not worried about risk, blah, 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 but it's just not the way I'm programmed. So I'm always so curious about how other people think. Yeah. I mean, I guess I figure that to me, the only problems that are big problems are ones that can't be solved mm -hmm. by money. Like, mm -hmm. so your health is number one. Right. And, and then your marriage and your relationships, anything beyond that? has a solution. Mm -hmm. And, and I also, like, I have enough confidence to say, you know what, I'm not the right person to solve this problem. Or, you know, I, I am, I ask for help all the time. And so, um, you know, I, I operate from a theory of take the high road and get all the help you can. And I operate that way about my personal life and my professional life in it. It has worked thus far. It's awesome. I, I mean, I'm scared to death. Am I going to find another job? That's scary to me. Um, am I going to find something that is as exciting and um, as opportunistic as Nest, you know, was? Because it, I didn't ever have a thought. I knew that brand had 
potential. And I believed the conversations that I had with both Laura and the private equity company. And I felt like this is a great fit. And now my doubt is like, oh, that was lucky. Like, how am I going to find another one of those kinds of opportunities? And the um, both skincare and um, makeup have changed so much in the last couple of years. Like, when I was at Lauder, I had no idea of all this private equity and all these right. entrepreneurial companies. And I don't think I even had time to listen to podcasts. I love podcasts. They are my favorite. I, and I love your podcast. Um, I didn't know about that world when I was at Lauder because, you know, I had to the ground and you're, you know, I was running three brands and one was super growth, Tom Ford. Aaron was nurturing and you know, building success stories. And Lauder was, you know, a huge brand with many facets in all three categories. And how do you make them all hum at the same time? And lots of people and lots of change within the corporation. And so, you know, I was, you know, um, I wasn't able to step back and take a look. And then I went right to Nest. Like I took two weeks off between Christmas and New Year's mm -hmm. and started at Nest, which is why I felt like I needed like 90 days of, you know, I wanted to reflect on what would I have done different at Nest? What would I have done different at Estee Lauder? What would I have done different? I, I even thought back to Clinique. Like, how did I, what did I learn there? Like, I thought I've taken a lot of time to think about my career and what's been important. And it's been really great. So as you reflect, and um, I applaud you actually for taking time, because I think that that's, you know, it's that's all we, all we have is it's today. To, that, that was, it's, it's, it was really hard to quit without another job. Mm -hmm. Because this is 20-something years of always having a job. Oh, like since I was 14. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so do you think that the next step for you is at an entrepreneurial company, or do you think it's back at a strategic? Um, I think it's probably entrepreneurial. Um, I think that, um, but it, I, I don't know. I, I'm looking for something that's really interesting, um, and I'm looking for something with, um, really smart people that are also kind. Mm -hmm. oh, those, are, mm -hmm. those are important. Those are the important things to me at this point. Those are my values too. Kindness, smart, and we can figure it all out together and have fun. Yeah. Um, so I want to thank you for being such an incredible super fan of our podcast. Um, I want everyone to know how lovely you've been to me. Um, every month I send an email update to people in my database around like what's going on in the podcast and you are so gracious with your feedback. And um, I want you to know that it's incredibly meaningful because I do come from that place of self-doubt that I never thought that people would find the stories interesting. Like I always, you know, it's always, there's always a little like Eeyore cloud behind me. Um, and the fact that you, you know, you have these interesting pieces of feedback about the shows and um, are so willing to connect. And I, it's, it's incredibly meaningful for me because it proves to me that like it works, like the work that I'm doing works. It does. And I love, there's two things. One is, I think you're a really good interviewer. And, and and it's borne out over time because you're interviewing CEOs, you're interviewing founders, you're interviewing more junior people. Um, and it doesn't matter who you're interviewing, you bring out really great stories and people that I think is really inspirational to a big industry of people that are super connected and like to like to know the backstories, but don't always have the time. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing is, I do love that you have this wide range. And I've recommended to students at FSU that they need to listen because when you interview, you know, a marketing manager, and they hear, I mean, they're not going to be a CEO tomorrow. They want to understand what 
a marketing manager does. And so I feel like you've, um, you're in a spot that's so interesting and so helpful and you do such a great job. So. Thank you. Well, it's so important to me to humanize your business because I was feeling after all these years of being in it, so disconnected from the human aspects. Like mm-hmm. I felt like we were like marketing robots, sales, revenue, robots, yeah. right? New launch, new launch, new launch, new launch. Right. And it's like, I get actually like vomitous thinking about like the pace of the business while everybody's launching, launching, launching just to get news. And like, what are you launching? Like how meaningful could it be? And is this really what the customer wants? You know, like pile of garbage in their bathrooms. I just don't, you know, it, it's not, it starts to not resonate with my values. So um, as a way to manage that and learn and deal with my own issues, um, humanizing this, like hearing these stories is so valuable to me. Like we are all human beings. We all have to feed the cat or we all have to brush our teeth or right, go to the food store. And um, whether you sold your business for $200 million or you're, you know, 22 years old and looking for your path. Like we're all the, the same and we all have interesting stories. Um, and as you mentioned, I don't get to hear these stories. I have some clients that I've been on, you know, many shoots with for many hours over years where there's just no opportunity to like ask those questions, right? Yeah. Like, and um, certainly their teams don't have the opportunity to do that. If they're in like a really kind of structured hierarchical company and they don't have close relationships, they're never going to get to know what motivates people. Um, it's just work, work, work. So thank you for the feedback. It's what you're saying is exactly my goal with the show. That's good. Um, and you were also so gracious. You hooked us up to set up Laura to be our guest at our next podcast. I'm Presence very at excited about that. In yeah. February. So um, I'm so grateful for that. We're super excited. It's going to be really She's fun. She's got some great stories, too. Yeah, I, I bet. I can't wait to talk with her. Sadly, I'm in Tallahassee that night, so I can't. Well, know. we moved it, actually, because it was the CEO demo night. We didn't realize that, so we moved it to the 26th. I don't know if you're in town. Oh, it's maybe Tuesday now. Oh, yeah. I am? Yeah. yeah. We oh, just good. decided. Okay. So everyone's hearing it first, but you're hearing it first. Excellent. So um, thank you so much for being a guest on our show and sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you very much for having me. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Nancy. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.